Axios Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Mac. On today's show, we worked new IPO challenges and a hurricane bombshell. But first, General Trump's trade war. So last Friday was turbulent in D.C., even by Trump era standards. Both China and the U.S. slapped new tariffs on each other. Trump called China an enemy for the first time and then also called Fed Chairman Jay Powell an enemy. And Powell, for his part, said fairly little in a highly watched speech from Jackson Hole. But the most notable moment on Friday came when Trump tweeted, quote, our great American companies are hereby ordered to immediately start looking for an alternative to China, including bringing your companies home and making your products in the USA. Now, to be clear, Trump put the cart way before the horse here. It's possible he could declare a national emergency and then order U.S. business to leave China, but that's not what he did. And even were he to do so, there'd be all sorts of legal challenges and maybe even pushback from congressional Republicans, since the business disruptions would be felt from coast to coast and everywhere in between, let alone in 401ks. Why it really matters, though, is that Trump is becoming even more impulsive on the trade wars, particularly when stocks are down, and it's causing an enormous amount of uncertainty for U.S. businesses, which could lead to decreased short-term investment and hiring. No one I've spoken to really thinks Trump will force U.S. companies out of China, but it's the sentiment behind his threat that suggests things will get much worse before they get better. The U.S. economy right now still really does appear to be in good shape, despite some recessionary warning signs. And for example, last week or in the week before, we have seen really strong earnings from consumer-focused companies like Lowe's and Target. But more days like Friday could cause both CEOs and consumers to hold their wallets a bit tighter, creating the sort of economic downturn that trade talks are, in theory, supposed to help us avoid. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper with hedge fund manager and former Trump supporter Anthony Scaramucci. But first, this. Axios chief technology correspondent Ina Fried shares breaking news and analysis on the most consequential companies and players in tech from the Valley to D.C. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now back to the Pro Rata podcast. We're joined now by hedge fund manager Anthony Scaramucci, who has been in the news lately for pivoting from a fierce Trump supporter to an even fiercer critic. So, Mooch, let's start here. Last year, you wrote a bunch and supported the president's approach to China and trade. Now you don't. So leaving aside kind of the increased personal animosity between the two of you, what do you think has changed in the White House approach to China? Last year, on June 12, 2018, I wrote an article in the FT which suggested strongly that the president team up with the Europeans and negotiate with the Chinese in a collective way. And moreover, if you read that article, what I also said was, if the Chinese aren't going to budge, you could graduate the tariffs slowly so that you wouldn't have all the supply chain disruption or capital investment dislocation. So when you say that I was in support of the president, I'm still in support of the notion of the idea that we need to reconcile our trade account with China and that they've asymmetrically taken advantage of us. And there's been a violation of intellectual property law and things like that. But the tactics and the strategy, I've been pretty open about for the last year that I wouldn't have gone about it with this high level of unpredictability where we're veering from putting tariffs on, taking them off, putting them on. Now we're telling lies about phone calls that are coming in and so on and so forth. So 
you know, I think it'd be pretty straight up. You make the comment about, you know, that, that what they should have done was got the Europeans on board. This is obviously an administration that has, when it comes to trade, wanted to have bilateral negotiations, not multilateral negotiations, going way back even before China. From your perspective, why is that? Why this desire to have one-on-one as opposed to, as you say, bring Europe along, bring allies along, get kind of more comprehensive negotiations? That's part of the America first strategy. You know, that's the Steve Bannon nonsense and the Trump nonsense about a bilateral deal means that the United States isn't, quote unquote, subservient to any other country. But what they're missing is you may have the same exact grievance as the Europeans. And so therefore, why wouldn't you use the strength of your allies? I don't know too many wars, Dan, where people win the wars unilaterally. You usually have a series of allies that you go to war alongside of, and they help you resolve a conflict. So to me, the notion of America first has actually become America alone. From your perspective, there's been a lot of talk in the last week about recession and global recession and and American recession. From your perspective, is it rational to be discussing that now, not just in terms of, oh, you know, cycles go up, cycles go down. But if you look in the last week at earnings from kind of consumer facing companies in the U.S., Lowe's, Target, Walmart, et cetera, all of that seems to still be pretty strong. From your perspective, as a guy who invests for a living, is the recession talk in the U.S. right now overblown? It depends on timing. I don't think you're going to get a recession before the election. You know, I've been studying the economy for 32 years, running about $10 billion of capital. We can be fairly predictive of what's going to happen over the next three to five quarters. And the economy is quite strong. There's no dispute about that. Those are the things about the president I like. It's not like I'm not a never Trumper or I've disavowed my support of him because I think he's full-blown crazy. But I don't think that some of these economic policies are crazy. There's there's some very good common sense, well-grounded policy of delayering the administrative state, rolling back some of the regulations. The corporate tax cut made the American corporations more competitive globally and allowed for more capital to flow. It's just the swinging wildly in the trade negotiations has sort of stalled everybody. So if he had just sat on the sidelines and was a cheerleader for the economy and espoused the good policies that he was deploying, there would be no need to even be talking about a recession. But now that he's in there veering left and right, and nobody can have any level of predictability of where he's going with the trade situation, he is perhaps either accidentally or incidentally slowing down the global economy. So 40% of the sovereign wealth now is in negative territory. And so that's telling you that the world is expecting slower growth. The yield curve has inverted a couple of times in the last three weeks. That's telling you there's probably a 65 or so percent chance that we'll go into a recession over the next 12 to 18 months. If that's the case, why don't you think there'll be a recession before November 2020, which is what, 15 months from now? Yeah. So just remember the definitions that that recession then would have to start in March. You'd have to have a slowdown in March. Then you'd have to have another slowdown. And so you'd need two quarters of negative economic results to define it as a recession before the November election. So I think given the heat of the economy right now and where we are at above 2% GDP growth, even with the revised estimates, which have consistently been downward, I don't see how you get there. Let's say it's 14 months of the election. You've got to really start that recession in about seven or eight months. I don't think you can get there that quickly. Do you feel by November 2020, there will be some deal with China, even if it's not a meaningful one, and it's just both sides declare victory and go home? 
I think that's likely. You know, I, I tweeted out that the Chinese are having a field day with Trump. I mean, they're using him as a rag doll now. So they love what he's doing. He's disrupted the global alliance. He's eroded both hard and soft power for America around the world. So my prediction is that they're just shaking him up right now. They'll probably cut a deal with him to hopefully bolster his chance to win re-election so he can wreak more havoc on the civilization. I mean, just imagine Trump uncaged with all of this sort of nonsense, seeking nobody's counsel inside the White House for another four years. If you have five more years of this nonsense, I mean, that could do a tremendous amount of damage. So it's very likely they'll get a trade deal done, and it's very likely that the Chinese are enjoying what he's doing to the alliance, the world, the U.S., and uh, our allies. Anthony Scaramucci, thank you so much for joining us. Great being on here. Thanks, Dan. My final two, right after this. There is more news out there than ever before, but these days, it's harder than ever to find it and to know what to trust. Axios AM takes the effort out of getting smart by synthesizing the 10 stories that will drive the day and telling you why they matter. Subscribe at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the ProRata Podcast. Now it's time for my final two. And first up are new challenges for WeWork, which expects to go public shortly after Labor Day. So here are three of them. First, the company's main rival, a London-listed firm that does business as Regis, reportedly is considering a US IPO of its own. Second, a couple of upstart competitors have raised big rounds of venture capital in recent weeks and taken the opportunity to publicly bash what they now view as the incumbent. And third, there is increased market chatter that WeWork might not do its IPO, pull the off due to investor concerns. So on that last point, don't count on it. Not only because sources close to the company say it's still all systems go, but also because the IPO and a $6 billion debt deal are contingent on one another. And WeWork knows it needs the money from both, even if it has to suffer the short-term humiliation of lousy IPO headlines. And finally, Axios's Jonathan Swan reported last night that President Trump has repeatedly floated the idea of disrupting hurricanes before they reach the US by dropping nuclear bombs on them while they're still in the Atlantic. Yeah, so it does sound kind of nuts, but Trump isn't the first person to consider it. Apparently, this came up also during the Eisenhower era and has become so pervasive that a U.S. government agency even has published an online fact sheet about it. And basically what it says is, A, we don't know if this would actually disrupt hurricanes, and B, we do know it would dump so much radioactive fallout into the trade winds that it would destroy the environment and possibly human life. Trump, for what it's worth, this morning called Swan's story, quote, fake news, which I think is a first for us, but Axios is standing by its reporting. And we're done. Big thanks for listening, and please be sure to leave us a review. Have a great National Cherry Popsicle Day, and we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata Podcast.